0: Galatians 1 and Acts chapter 9. Galatians 1 and Acts chapter 9. Hope you all had a good afternoon. I really enjoyed. We had a, just an excellent leader meeting. And then um, Jacob and Amanda came over for the afternoon, had a really fun time talking about my YouTube channel. And he's doing everything he can to keep me from looking old and dumb. And I don't know if that's going to work. So um, I'll tell you this, I had a conversation with the pastor that I'm going to be with in Washington and also Dalton Robertson today. And what we're going to try to do while we're in Washington, they have a studio set up. It's really cool. And so what I want to do is several long form conversations for while I'm there. And then I want to record the, the shorter videos here so there's a consistency of location and Lighting and all of those things. I'm going be working with Justin and Logan on that. Logan and I are talking about that after the service. Um, so be in prayer for that. and um, so Dalton's going to be asking me questions about the King James Bible and we're going to have a long conversation about that. I think we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about Baptist history. We're going to talk about the state of modern fundamentalism and modern evangelicalism. Just have a conversation. About those things, um, and I, I said, "Do you have any ideas?" He said, "Let's talk about different types of cigars." That's what Dalton said. So I said, "No, I don't think I'm going to do that podcast." Um, so we're really looking forward to this week and what we can accomplish. On Tuesday, we're filming at the Museum of the Bible. I'm going to be talking them through the different exhibits at the Museum of the Bible and. Um, We have some ideas for that. So be in prayer for us. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of foolishness, a lot of laughing. But we really do want to try to accomplish a lot this week for the Lord. And the idea is to produce things that are evergreen. Um, And so that's just the idea that 10 years from now, it will be as relevant as it is today. Those are some of the things that we're trying to work on. So really be in prayer for us as we do that. Um, So let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for Grace Baptist Church, these faithful workers. Lord, we love you. Lord, have us, help us to have your mind through your text tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if we look again at our text, let's start reading in verse 11, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. All right, so let's look at this text. I want to deal with a couple of things in this text. One of them is in verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, it's very important that you see, it doesn't say to reveal his son to me. So this is not a Calvinistic understanding of salvation. That's No, God had determined when he created Paul and gifted him That from his mother's womb, he gifted him for a specific purpose. But Paul still had to receive Christ. Amen? It's a very important distinction there. And so we looked at this morning that after Damascus, Paul and Damascus is when he was saved, that he had a new philosophy. His past life was about what he was doing. His new life was about what God had done in him. And then he had a new purpose he was separated from his mother's womb, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, like John the Baptist, like Samson. He was, he was called for a specific purpose, and God created him to do that. And what I want to do, continuing now, the first message that Paul is recorded preaching. Let's look at his first message. So go back to Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 20. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. So this is immediately after he has been instructed by um, Ananias. And look at what it says, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. How about that? He preached Christ in the synagogues. So what's his first message? Christ. How is Paul, a new convert, able to preach Christ? Christ because he's preaching Christ from the Old Testament, and he probably had the whole, the whole Old Testament memorized. Now he has the Holy Spirit of God in him, and all of that stuff that he knows about who the Messiah is going to be, wait a minute, that's him. That's him. Is, is that a, just an amazing thing? God had prepared him as an enemy of God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think of Spencer Cone. Spencer Cone... Um, was the grandson of Colonel Joab Houghton. Joab Houghton was a colonel in the Revolutionary Army. He was a member of the Hopewell Baptist Church in Hopewell, New Jersey. And when the Revolutionary War started in Boston, they, they had gotten message right before the preaching. And Joab Houghton waited for the, the sermon to be over. At the end of the sermon, outside, there's a, a stone where it would help the ladies to mount and dismount their horses. He got up on that stone and he said, brethren, he said, men, our brethren are dying in Boston. Who rides with me? And every man in the church got on their horse and rode to Boston to join the revolutionary cause. It's an amazing thing. He was a member of that Hopewell Baptist Church. Spencer Cone was his grandson. Cone, when he was 14, was teaching Greek and Latin at Princeton. You guys are losers. I can tell you that. How many of you are 14? Anybody 14. All right, you're going to teach Greek and Latin in Princeton? He was a unique person, right? What have you been, you've wasted your life. What are you doing? What's your, you don't need to know Greek and Latin. Latin would be a good thing to learn, by the way. That would be a really profitable thing. I wish I knew Latin. Um, the only Latin I know is, my father can beat your father at Domino's. Um <laughs> Anyway, so, but Cone wasn't saved. He had to come home when he was 16 because his father had lost his mind. He had to come home and help support his family. He became an actor, and then he was the editor of a newspaper. When he was 28 years old, he was wrestling with his salvation. And I've got his, his biography written by his sons. And they, so he lived in, a, in kind of a, oh, like a, a row house. And the attic of the row house went over all of them. And so he would go up there at night and just wander back and forth for 3 weeks every night. He'd go up and wander for hours just considering who God was and his own salvation. Well, he's gloriously converted, became a believer, and within a year he's the pastor of a church in the Navy shipyard in in Washington D.C. and he's the chaplain of the United States Senate. How in the world is a guy that's saved for a year able to do that? He was just a unique guy that had prepared in a very unique way and God had equipped him in a very unique way. He became the pastor of the First Baptist Church in New York City where John Gonneau, the church that John Gonneau, George Washington's chaplain, that same church, Spencer Cohn, He was one of the the founders of the American Bible Society and one of his managing editors, managing directors of the American Bible Society. And then in 1836, when the American Bible Society would no longer publish um, Bibles that were translated by the Baptist missionaries, William Carey and Adoniram Judson, because when they would translate the word baptizo, they would translate it as immerse. They They wouldn't publish that because they said it's a sectarian or a schismatic translation while they had already been publishing Roman Catholic Bibles. Isn't it interesting the one thing that people won't allow, and that's Baptist doctrine? And so Cohn helped them start the American and Foreign Bible Society, which began preaching the gospel and sending out Bibles. It was the Baptist Bible Society. He's also the one who helped Isaac McCoy. Remember, Isaac McCoy was a missionary to the American Indians, and God had done amazing things through Isaac McCoy. Eleven of his 14 children died. While he was ministering to the American Indians, one of his daughters, Maria, um, his wife was here in, in, in Troy and visiting an Indian agent there because uh, he was also, Isaac McCoy would have also been an Indian agent, and the daughter died. So Maria McCoy is buried right in Troy at the Staunton Cemetery, right next to Delilah Corbley. And you've heard me talk about the Corbley incident where she was scalped. She came and helped start that uh, Baptist church there at Staunton, which became First Baptist Church in Troy. But anyway, Isaac McCoy was, it was very difficult for him to raise funds because the Northern Baptists believed, the Baptists in the North believed that the Indians were a dying race and there was no reason to evangelize them. He was at the founding meeting, Isaac McCoy, of the Southern Baptists in uh, Augusta, Georgia in 1845, and the Southern Baptists took him on and they did support him with evangelizing the Indians. But it was really Isaac, it was really Spencer Cohn who had helped him To accomplish that work financially so these these special people like the Apostle Paul like a Spencer Cone how is it what happens in their lives well the Apostle Paul God used his gifts and Paul he counted all of his talent and the word he used was dung Now, the word that we would use in our vernacular, I'd probably get fired if I used it in church. But understand, that's the way that Paul was speaking. That's what he thought of. That's what he considered his gifts. Cone, obviously, was a Greek scholar. And what Cone wanted to do when they started the American and Foreign Bible Society was he wanted to revise the King James Bible. He thought that they had made some mistakes in it. And so for the whole time, between 1836 all the way through 1850, he was trying to produce a new translation of the Bible. And so he finally did and distributed it at their annual meeting, and nobody wanted it. So he pulled out of the American and Foreign Bible Society and founded the American Bible Union, the Baptist Bible Union. And that split the mission, that split everything that they were trying to do. And Thomas Armitage, the great Baptist historian, he said this about the American Bible Union and the translation of the Bible they produced. He said that the American Bible Union translation changed the whole attitude of the Baptist people on the subject of Bible translation. From that point on, it was finished around 1864. From that point on, the Bible controversy started in the United States in 1870, There was a group called the the Convocation of Canterbury. So the Archbishop of Canterbury, he's the leader of the Convocation of Canterbury. They all met and they said, the Baptists have beaten us to a translation of the Bible. We need to make our own revision. And that's where the revised version of 1881 came from. So all of the confusion about the Bible, it all started with a man named Spencer Cone, who God had gifted greatly, who God used greatly, but because he was lifted up in his own pride, he thought that the word baptize in the English Bible was a mistake. He believed that it was a transliteration of baptizo. So uh, when you transliterate a word, you just take the Greek letter and you substitute the Greek letter with an English letter. He was told that's what the word baptize is. And many of you have been taught the same thing that it's not a translation, it's a transliteration. What he didn't know, he wanted it to be immerse. What he didn't know was that the word immerse didn't appear in an English dictionary, meaning to dip in water, until 1613. That word wasn't even available to the King James translators. But the word baptize was in English dictionaries, meaning to dip in water and bring back out as you would dye a garment going all the way back to the 1200s. For 400 years, the word baptized was an English word. So here's the problem. The man, lifted up in his own pride because of his expertise in Greek, didn't understand English. And that led to all of the error that we have today. That's where it started, with a Baptist. And so the distinction between the Apostle Paul and Spencer Cone, of course there would be many, but the one is, the Apostle Paul looked at all of his authority, all of his training, all of his genuine genius and brilliance. Everything that he accomplished, he called that dung. Spencer Cone thought he knew something. And it ruined everything. So, it's been said about Moses that... God spent the the first 40 years of Moses' life teaching him how to be somebody raised in Pharaoh's house. And then, you know, he had to go to the wilderness. And for 40 years, he lived on the backside of the desert. And so, for the first 40 years, God taught him how to be somebody. For the second 40 years, God taught him how to be nobody. His last 40 years, when he was leading the children of Israel, he showed us what God can do with somebody who's learned to be nobody. That's who the Apostle Paul was. We're not saying no one is gifted. We're not saying God hasn't given you ability or talent. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying you shouldn't pursue education and learn to hone your skills to the best of your natural ability. We're not saying that you should not do that. Many double negatives, you English students. Don't do that. We're not saying to negate education. What we're saying is become the best person that you can be, hone your skills to the best of your ability, and then remember that you are nothing and that God can do it all without you and say, Lord, what little I have, I give to you. I started to say that this morning about my ability to speak. See, the ability to talk, I could have used that to sell things, and I did before I surrendered to preach. But I know this, that as a preacher, just the ability to to speak well, it's just not enough. It's not enough. There has to be the power of God in it, and the power of God comes from his words. Uh, Jacob and I were talking this afternoon, and Amanda, and there's a pastor that, he's just a wonderful speaker. He's a brilliant man, a very good speaker, a popular speaker, has done a lot of youth meetings. And Jacob noticed that the last couple of times he heard him, it it was weaker. It was more vacillating. It wasn't as sure. And you know what happened in that period of time? He decided the King James Bible is not the word of God and you can't be sure what the Bible says. What does that do? It takes away your authority. Well, it could mean this, or some people translate it this way, or it could be this. You pick. How can you be authoritative that way? And so, the Apostle Paul, he determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Did he forget everything he knew? No, he just stood up and preached Christ from the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible says when he went to Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue as his manner was, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and died and risen from the dead, and that Jesus Christ is Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. That was his message. Obviously, he hadn't forgotten the scriptures that he had learned, but what he determined was everything that I had learned, none of it means anything without him. That's who we are to be. So what was Paul's message? Paul's message was, He is the Christ. Look at, we're still in Acts chapter 9, verse 20 again. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Paul, I'm sorry, but Saul increased the more in strength. And confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. He's the real thing. Isn't that awesome? So what's his message? Christ is the Son of God. He preached Christ. Who is that? The Son of God. Who's Jesus? That very Christ. He is the one. And this is the message of Scripture. Scripture. This is stated by a priest in Matthew 26, 63. It's said by some devils as they're cast out in Luke four forty one. A Jew in John eleven twenty seven. 27, Mary and Martha. A, a, a disciple in John 20, 31, John himself. Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, 42. But Paul says Christ was revealed in me, not to me, for me, or through me. Christ was revealed in me. And then God took all of those gifts that he had given Paul and used them for his glory. The idea that Christ is in the believer is repeated twice in the book of Galatians. So let's go back to the book of Galatians. And so you should have your ribbon there in chapter one, but look at Galatians chapter two and verse 20. Many of you have this memorized. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet. Not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith, not in the son of God, but by the faith of the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me I love it that it says that I, I i don't I'm not kept by my faith in the Son of God. I place my faith in the Son of God and the faith of the Son of God his faith is what keeps me forever. That is just what a wonderful thing that is. Look at Galatians chapter four and verse six. Let's look at verse 4 for the context, Galatians 4 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son, where? Into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I've mentioned to you before that when I was in Israel with our friend Jay Ross, he has a son with Down syndrome. His name is Levi. And uh, he was probably four years old, and he was watching TV, and he he wanted his dad to see it. And he started saying, Abba, 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 Abba. He was calling his dad, Abba. And that's what we cry, Father, Father. Isn't that a blessing? And so what this is saying is Christ in you. Jesus Christ is in you. That's where the glory is. What a wonderful thing, Christ in you. And it's also the hope of glory. So the idea that Christ is in the believer is repeated on two occasions in the book of Galatians. And it's also said, this Christ in you, it's one of the mysteries of God. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, and Colossians, Colossians 1 and verse 27. In my Sunday school class, we are teaching on the mysteries right now. We started with with 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This morning, so look at Second Corinthians chapter four and look at verse one. Sorry, I did it this morning too. First Corinthians chapter four, and verse one. I did the exact same thing in Sunday school, the exact same thing. I'm incorrigible. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So as a pastor, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. What are those mysteries? That's what we're looking at in the Sunday school hour. But one of them is in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse 27. You know what? Look at verse 25. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. So that's dispensing. What did God dispense to him? Which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but is now made manifest to his saints. So that verse 26 is the biblical definition of a mystery. It's something that has been hid. It's existed, but it has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made clear. It's something you can't know unless God shows it to you. Verse 27, what is the mystery? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was not taught in the Old Testament. Now, it's something that was real. Christ was going to be in them. The Bible in 1 Peter says that when those Old Testament prophets were prophesying the scripture, that the spirit of Christ was in them when he was doing it. But he didn't stay in them. Jesus told the apostles, "The, the spirit which is with you and shall be in you when did that happen? It happened at Pentecost, was the beginning, and it happens to us individually when we are born again. The Holy Spirit comes in us. And what is that Spirit? That Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. That's the message of the New Testament. It's one of the mysteries of God. And think about this. The Bible says that we are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away because all things are become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'm very thankful that I am in Christ. Christ in me is the converse of me being in Christ. So my being in Christ, that's my eternal security. That's my hope. I am in Christ and I will be in Christ throughout all eternity. That will never change. What is my earnest What is the guarantee that I'm going to be with him forever? That's that Holy Spirit of God that's in me, according to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. So what is that? The Holy Spirit of God. That means I'm his until he comes. I'm his until he takes me out. Now, I have to do this because it's really fun. Okay, everybody have your Bibles there at Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to give you an illustration. People say that the modern Bibles are really not any different. I am going to read this same passage, and you read along with me. Okay, y'all ready? Y'all at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12? Do you understand how many doctrines are changed in the English Standard Version, the ESV? They have to change it. Why? Because it's the Calvinist Bible. It's published by Crossway Publishers, Calvinist Publishing House, and they had to make the translation in a way that says what their doctrine teaches rather than having their doctrine teach what the Bible says. It's amazing the difference so that mystery that understanding that Christ is in me that's the message that that's the that's the power that Paul had in preaching go back to galatians chapter 1 verse 16 again to reveal his son in me so the apostle paul after damascus he had a new philosophy His past life was about what he was doing. His new life was about what God had done in him. He had a new purpose. He was separated from his mother's womb, to preach Christ. But that could only happen if Christ was in him. And that's what he was doing. But not only that, but he was to preach to the heathen. He was to preach to the heathen. Wouldn't you think that Paul would be the one that was supposed to go to the Jews? What does God do? He uses his wisdom to confound the wisdom of the wise. Why would God take a Jew among the Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews? Why would God take him and say to the Jews? Nah, I want you to go to the Gentiles. Why? Because it's God that works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that's exactly what the passage says. Look at what it says again in verse 16. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Who are the heathen? Us. That's us. Remember that thing that I said about the guy who did his DNA test, wanted to find out what his heritage was? They come back with a pie chart, and his said 98% white trash. That's most of us, right? Not, not, not a whole lot of royalty in this room. That's who God uses. Not many wise. Isn't that awesome? God chose somebody profound, God chose somebody wise. And then he took him outside of his comfort zone to the people that he had hated. Amazing, amazing. So, different philosophy, a different purpose, and he had an absolutely different perspective. Verse 16, let's look at the second half of the verse. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apost- which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he had a new perspective. He he had a new source of truth. What was his old source of truth? He knew the law. He knew the Torah. He knew all the commentaries on the law. He knew what all of the great uh, uh, Pharisees had written. He knew all of that. He needed something new. He needed what only Jesus could get him. He was a special case. Not only that, he had a new perspective, but he also had a new place. First place he went was Damascus, not Jerusalem, right? Right? And then, the Bible says, in verse 18, then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter. You see, Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul wasn't ready to be with Peter until he had been with Jesus for three years. Oh, just a minute. How long were the other apostles with Jesus? How long? Three and a half. Paul learned faster. Interesting. The other thing, he didn't get his message from the apostles. The Bible says that, that Paul went and conferred with the apostles. And listen to what Paul said. They added nothing unto me. That's kind of arrogant, isn't it? No, Jesus taught him specially. Can you imagine what Jesus taught Paul in the wilderness with no distractions? Where do you think these mysteries came from? That's so cool. How many of you have not really thought about that? Jesus alone in the wilderness with Paul for three years. Then he was ready to go up and be with Peter for 15 days. Or how long does it say? Does it say 15 days? Yeah, 15 days. Verse 19, but of the other apostles I saw none, save James the Lord's brother. I'm I'm as one born out of due time. I'm not like the other apostles. What an amazing thing the Apostle Paul was and did. So, he had a new place, Damascus, then Jerusalem with Peter. But then, read on, verse 21. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. What did he learn in Syria and Cilicia? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But this is so fun. You ready for this? He had a new purpose He had a new philosophy. He had a new place. This is encouraging. You ready? He had a new past. Look at what it says in verse 23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Oh, wait a minute. What did it say in verse 16? To reveal his son in me, they glorified God in me. Why? This is what they used to know about me. Now what they know about me, he preaches Christ. He had a new past. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have a past that you would like to forget? Write a new story. You can have a new story after Damascus. Amen? The apostle Paul had a new past. I'm not a murderer anymore. Yeah, I was. But now I preach to those that I once destroyed. I'm a preacher. And you know what that does? People glorify God in it. People glorify God in it. When someone who is well known, especially a well known heathen, trusts Christ, that just brings glory. How could that happen? How could that person turn to Christ? Isn't it good? Unless he returns today, he's not done. So what do we need? After Damascus, what do you need? A new philosophy, a new way of thinking. You need a new purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God in everything you do. Remember, we are here to know God and make him known. That's why we exist, to know God and make him known. And you need a new place. What is your place? It's here with God's people. And, praise God, we get to have a new past. I went, uh, years ago, I went back to where I had gone to Bible college the first time. Dalton Robertson and I went there. They had a meeting. It was called Pastor's School. And I would see people that I hadn't seen in 20 years. And so this would have been 2007. So since 1990, I hadn't seen them. And so people would say, What are you doing? What are you doing with yourself? I pastor a church in Sydney, Ohio. And I promised two different people said, No, really, what are you doing? I was such a clown, I had such a bad spirit, I didn't like what was going on in that place, I wasn't emotionally mature enough to handle it properly, that my reputation was either as a goof-off, making everybody laugh, I know that surprises you, or just somebody that was so mad at the leadership that I was just an angry young man. That's who I was. You know what's cool now? Most of the people who would know me, they know me as a preacher of the gospel. I was able to, I was, when I surrendered to the Lord. See, I hadn't surrendered to preach at that point. I was 30 when I went back to Bible college and surrendered to preach. But God's allowed me to write a new past. I have a I have a new story. And God used all of that, that that bitterness that I had towards the leadership. You know what that's taught me? Don't be like those leaders and engender that bitterness in young people. Isn't that a good thing to learn? Amen? Don't be like that. But I've also learned the joy of serving God, the joy of loving God's people and seeing God's people grow in the faith. I just love it, and I hope that someday someone can say that what Pastor Jim taught me has taught me to glorify God. That's what we're here for. I just get the privilege of standing up here and teaching you guys this stuff. And then you get the privilege of taking that and teaching it to someone else and the things that you're learning on your own. After Damascus, boy, did God change Paul? I'm just telling you, God wants to use you. He doesn't want you to be the Apostle Paul, but he wants you to be Matt Holzclaw. He wants you to be Hannah. He wants you to be Michael Bermond or Jerry Wolf. For him. And for people to glorify God. In Brent New. To glorify God. In Ty Blackford. Is that what the Bible is teaching? To glorify God. In Kent and Susan. To glorify God in Amber. We're hoping in Jet. (laughs) That's. That's who we are. And all. All. We have to do is take those gifts that He has given us, improve them through the Spirit, and then give them to Him, acknowledging that we're nothing. That's what happens after Damascus. Let's all stand. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather together and hear Your word. Lord, that that contrast between the Apostle Paul and Spencer Cohn.